Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before and we're so thankful for this time that we could worship together and uh, learn about you and who you are. Lord, in this world, our most, one of our most precious commodities or our most precious uh, that we have, Lord, is our children and protecting them from, from this world. And even though, Lord, we are to be in this world but not of this world, and in our schools, Lord, it's a cesspool oftentimes of sin and deceit, and, and Satan uses it. But Lord, help us as we send our children, many of us, to uh, public school and some to private and some homeschool. But help us to, while we navigate through uh, public school, what things we can learn from each other, from someone who's in the public school system. And we uh, pray for the presenters. Uh, bless uh, Sandra and, and Mike. We just uh, thank you so much, Lord, that we can learn from them and that we could learn how we in this world could be vigilant to protect our children. We pray this all in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, thanks for coming. Um, this is only my second time doing a forum, so you'll have to give me a little bit of leeway here. And coincidentally, the last time I did a forum was on public schooling, and there was uh, being on the being on the forum committee um, and seeing a lot of requests to have another public schooling uh, forum kind of brought this one uh, to, to where we are today. Um, the last time I did a forum on public schooling, it was uh, off of a book called Going Public, and uh, basically the focus of that book was to uh, for people that hadn't decided what kind of education they were going to have their kids in, whether it be private or public or homeschooling, um, that book kind of tried to push you in the direction of public schooling, uh, kind of made the case for public schooling. Um, the book that, that Sandra and I both are kind of basing this forum off of is called Navigating Public Schools, which is where the title comes from as well. Um, I would probably say this book is more geared towards people who have decided to public school, and as the title suggests, it is kind of a guidebook to navigate you through some of the, some of the things you would face in a public school. So um, I certainly don't want to push anybody out that's not already got kids in public school or has any other type of schooling because we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but I just kind of want to set the stage for, for what, the, what the book is based on. Um, also, if you're interested in the book, something neither one of us I don't think are really going to address much, but the author addresses quite a bit. Um, he basically talks about, he's a middle school teacher, he talks about how he was in a district that did not allow him to speak about the Bible as a primary source for one of his literature classes, and uh, it got actually so far that it went to the Board of Education, uh, and then it ultimately ended up in court, and it ended up in Supreme Court, actually. So the book kind of chronicles his process of that whole experience. Uh, he throws in a whole bunch of stuff about what happened along the way. Uh, but we're not really going to kind of address that. We kind of pulled some information from the book that we felt was beneficial more than the court case stuff. But if you're interested, that's kind of what you would find in there. So a little bit about us. Um, I'm Mike from Mansfield, if you don't know, LAMP. Um, I've been teaching since 2002 in a public school. Um, the grades that I've taught, I taught second and third grade for 15 years. And then last year, um, against my will, I got pushed into sixth grade to teach language arts. So... Um, totally different story that would get me completely off topic if I, if I went into that. Um, but I, I've taught Common Core standards in the United States. That's pretty much what you've heard a lot about in the news is Common Core. I've taught those since they were basically introduced in 2009. Prior to that, it was state standards, and we made some changes even before that as well. So um, Common Core is basically what I've been doing for the last nine years or so. Um, I've also served on our district's technology committee for 15 plus years, basically as soon as I got hired, the principal asked me to serve on a technology committee as well. 
Um, and I only mention that because technology comes up quite a bit in schools, especially now, and I, I had no idea at the time that I agreed to be on that committee what kind of things I'd be seeing 15 years later. So some of the stuff I see in my schools now, and I think that, that Sandra would probably see in her schools now, a lot of technology is, is coming, quite a, quite a long, uh, coming, coming along quite faster than we can even uh, get a grip of it. So. All right, I'm Sandra Pfeiffer. I teach in Canada, Windsor, Ontario. So we use the Ontario curriculum. So for the Canadians, you probably heard about a, a lot about our new health curriculum that's now been reverted back to the old one, because, and we'll get into that a bit later. But, um, and I've taught the falling grades up there since 2000, and that's about it. Uh, the purposes of this forum, specifically, we'll try to encourage and equip Christians who've decided basically to place their kids in public schools um, also want to give you some tips on how to deal with a curriculum, a school, a teacher, a principal, etc., that you may not entirely agree with, because really that's, that's one of the biggest struggles that you may face. Um, also to share with you some ways that you can be used in various situations in the public school setting. And then hopefully throughout the forum, as well as at the end, my goal is to give some time for you to share some of your successes and ideas with others. Um, I've been telling people all along that have been asking me about this forum this week, I, I've been saying, you know, really, I teach in a very rural school district um, that... A lot of what the author talked about in the book and a lot of what some of you that come from California, some of you from Toronto, some of you that come from a much, much different place have some very, very different and drastically different stories than what I'm going to be able to share. Um, I like that Sandra's doing it with me to represent Canada a little bit, but as we even talked, she, some of the stuff that she sees is similar to what I see. And I know it's coming along and we're going to be in the same boat eventually as well, uh, but some of you that are here representing some more liberal school districts probably have some, some stories to share with us throughout that we're going to eventually get up to as well. So I want to give some opportunity for that too. And if you have questions, I mean, I think all of us who have had to deal with where will our kids go and if we decide public school, how will we do that successfully as Christians? If you have questions at any point during the slides, just get your hand up and then we've got our Mike guy over here who will come find you. <laughs> Mike guy, you want to raise your hand? Mike guy, there he is. There's Mike guy. <laughs> some things we will not do in this forum. We will not try to persuade you that public schooling is the right thing for everyone. Uh, we will not make you feel like homeschooling is the wrong way to go. I think some people saw that we were doing a public schooling forum and the homeschooling one was yesterday and uh, thought, oh good, public schoolers floor. are going to get their floor too. <laughs> I, I'm not here to persuade you that that's any way different or better or worse. Um, we're not going to try to pretend that public schooling doesn't come with a share of failures and disappointments, especially those of you that are in public schools now. You know that it comes with a share of, of failures and disappointments. Um, I, I like to share, too, I had a family that um, was homeschooled up until the point that they had their child uh, in my classroom in third grade, and they were very nervous. Um, and I didn't know at the time that they had introduced themselves that they were a Christian family. I have since had all four of their children, and the mother was very concerned when she first met me that you know, her children were going to be behind, uh, you know, that she had a lot of apprehension about <coughs> public schooling for the first time. That family turned out to have some of the best kids I've ever had. So, um, you know, some people that start out with homeschooling and eventually get their children into public schooling certainly have a great basis to, to get their kids into public schooling, which is, I guess I'd want to encourage them too, some of the people that do homeschool. Some of the things that are taught at homeschools are great foundations to send your kids into the public school with and the knowledge that they come in with. So I, I definitely will not try to persuade you out of what you're doing if it's, if it's homeschooling. Um, if you're familiar with the show Deadliest Catch, any of you familiar with that show or heard of Deadliest Catch? <laughs> okay, I, I'm hooked on that show, and it's got a lot of navigational terms, and so this book, as I was reading it, a lot of the terms and a lot of the, the things that they talk about speaks to me because that show um, 
has a lot of this stuff that I can kind of apply and think about what, what they're making reference to. But basically the chartered course that we'll try to go through, and we're going to go through it quickly. Um, we're going to study the map. We'll talk about the map, what the map is. Um, understanding the winds. Finding the anchor. Joining a fleet. Avoiding the separation of the church versus state shipwreck. That's a term that if you're in public schools in the United States, you hear about separation of church versus state all the time. What does it really mean? Uh, taking the wheel of rights. Preparing for the title changes. And by title changes, I mean what kind of things will you expect to see in the areas of like history and social studies, uh, science, literature, etc. We're going to talk a little bit about pirates, probably my favorite part. Um, and then signaling for help if necessary. And then finally raising the flag for Christ. So the map, what does the map say? You know, the, the map, we're talking about the Bible here. What are some foundational things that the Bible says um, concerning some of what we'll talk about today? Obviously, in, in Proverbs 22, 6, a very familiar one, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Um, is, is there anyone who um, has anything to share, any stories, any comments about the beginnings of public school for their family and their life? Maybe how you came about the decision to do it. Uh, any concerns you had sending them off to public school? There we go. <laughs> Tell us, what, what were you afraid of? <laughs> so they're not in public school now? Okay. What were you worried about? who they go to school with that scared me so we tried homeschooling we hated it okay. so now we're doing private school but I'm all ears though <laughs> that's good we got one up here so we grew up in New York well our kids grew up in New York are you just for reporting or So we, we, we had our kids in, in New York, and New York is a very liberal environment. We've had a mix of uh, Jewish cultures to Muslim cultures to uh, African-American to Hispanic. And, um, you know, we've even had, uh, you know, when, you know, our, our kids kind of witnessing to other Jewish people about Christ, and, and some of the teachers kind of made the comment of, oh, well, some people believe in Christ like they do in Santa Claus, and you do, there's a, there's a sense of you kind of do have to uh, spend time with your kids and say where, you know, what are, what are they learning, what are they teaching, and then also go to the teacher and say it's, it's, it's not Santa Claus, it's a faith and it's a belief. And, uh, and also share with the kids, it's a good teaching experience for them to understand that you, when you engage and interact in the real world, you're, gonna, you're going to be engaging and interacting with all kinds of different people. So our fear with homeschooling or other uh, environments is, you know, yeah, you're going to shelter your kids so much and then they get out into the real world and go to college and all of a sudden now they're going to have a complete meltdown because they can't engage with reality. So, I mean, as kids, it gives them a, a, an aspect of being able to sort of engage in a minor role and as they grow, help be part of their spiritual uh, growth and, and knowledge and help direct them and guide them. So... Rather than looking at kids as uh, and raising kids as with fear, look at it as more as a, God's giving you an opportunity to really help your kids learn and grow. Thank you. So, and I for my negativity towards homeschooling, it wasn't meant that way. 
I actually appreciate that comment about uh, you know finding out what's going on in your kid's classroom because we're going to talk a little bit about that, about that too as we go along as well. He talks about that throughout this book. In any book you read through, always talks about that if you you need to be the open communication between your child and school. If they can't talk to you about all, things all the time, if you're not engaging in conversation and asking them what they're learning, what they're having. I mean, one of the best questions I was asked this year from Max, who's going to fifth grade next year, because his best friend is Muslim and they've been best friends since kindergarten. So this year he turned to me and he said, how do you know for sure that being a Christian is the right thing to believe in? How do you know for sure? And so if, if we're not ready to answer those kind of questions, then who's going to answer them for our children? Um, we, uh, my kids are both through high school and everything right now, and we sent them through um, public school. My son was in kindergarten when 9-11 occurred. So, of course, at that point in time, you're just terrified for their physical safety. But we wanted to keep them in public school because we wanted them to be exposed to all races, all income brackets, the whole thing. That was very important for us. Now, the grade school experience was really good for us because it was a uh, very involved school. I volunteered a lot at the school, could keep an eye on things going there. And then uh, when the kids got a bit older, we started going to homeschool conventions with friends of ours. So while our kids did go through public school, we got so much insight and insight from going to the homeschool conventions that the kids carried over into their public school experience. So that was a really good thing for us, and just to be involved in the school. I mean, when my sis, when my daughter was. Uh, in fourth grade, she went to a newer STEM school. And uh, in fourth grade, they started having school dances, which we didn't think were appropriate for a fourth grader. Of course, I didn't know how lame they really were, but, but we made the choice that Sarah was not allowed to do the dances. So she, there were only three kids who didn't go to the dances, Sarah, a Quaker girl, and a Muslim girl. And they'd end up in the library during those things. But it was a really good experience for her to become stronger in her faith. So I think just being involved is Thank important. You. And yes. right now, I work at an elementary school just as a crossing guard, but I really feel it's a place for me, and I want to volunteer in the school again. So I'm interested in what I can do. You know, my mom, always tells, my mom always tells me, because I've always taught at compensatory schools in Windsor, and sometimes I'm exhausted. You're just emotionally drained. And I go, I'm done. I'm going to school where I can just teach. And she goes, but then who will love these children? That's your job, right? You're the Christian. You're the light. You're supposed to love them. And who knows what you say during a day with a child that they need to hear, and that's your purpose. Sandra, you asked what was one of our fears. So for me, the biggest fear was once Stephen got on that bus and was with other people, I was no longer that main influence. That's what I felt like. And I thought, now he's going to be seeing things that I'm not seeing. He's going to be hearing things I'm not hearing. And he's a boy, right? So I'm not going to hear <laughs> what he's hearing or seeing. <laughs> and that was scary for me because I, I felt like I was no longer in control. Um, so that was my scariest feeling, why, why I was afraid to put him into public school but I knew that was what we had to do. Martha, I'm glad you shared that too, because after talking to you yesterday, I want you to share kind of the where you're at now, but not right now. Let me get to it, because she's got a good ending to that that I want her to share as well. So some of what you guys oh, talked about, you know, right oh, sorry. 
Hi, um, I'm Larissa Sable. Probably a lot of you don't know me, but I've actually had probably almost every possible schooling. I grew up in a for a few years in a private Christian school. Then I was homeschooled, and then in high school I went to a public high school, and now I'm actually a public high school or junior and elementary teacher. So I've kind of have seen it all, and it's interesting as a teacher in a public and we're a very liberal, very liberal school. I, my principal's gay. I have a lot of gay um, co-workers. And so talking about fear and all of this coming from the teacher's perspective, and we're not allowed to talk about our faith at all in our school, it it is a very big challenge, I would say. And it's a challenge to constantly check yourself. And you can kind of get caught up in the politics of school and, you know, the political correctness and all of that. And I think for a Christian's um, whether you want to send your kids homeschooling, public school, I, I'm all for all of it, really, because I've done it all. I've seen the benefits of it all. And I've also seen the disappointments, the failures of both sides, too. And I think coming from a personal perspective of the student, I would say, you know what? Like, if you train your kids and you have good communication with your kids that's going to go a lot further than almost anything. And if you love them and, you know, you constantly, like, teach them about Christ and how, like, those characteristics, they'll be fine. And then, you know, if they go into careers in the public sector, then they'll have something to back up that, like, those choices you're going to have to make as an adult as well. Thank Thank you. you. Um, Consider what your children are learning at school. It's not academics, and I'd like some call-out. Just call out some other things to me that your kids pick up in public school, not habits, but what are some other things that your kids are going to school for and that they're learning besides academics? Just You can just call them out. Interacting. Manners, interacting, yeah. language. I would say no, so peer pressure, broken homes, <coughs> seeing other lifestyles, teamwork, social skills. Music, yeah. Anything that would be like the fine arts, I mean, or the influence of music. Yeah. It's amazing to me as a teacher now, you know, for 15 plus years to see how much of my school day is actually spent on academics and how much is beyond, both beyond my control, outside of my classroom and even inside of my classroom, how much of it is spent not on academics. And the the not on academics far outweighs the academics. Well, I find Um, we parent. What's that? We parent all day yeah. long. Yeah, true. Because there's some where I'm finding just starting from when we first started teaching till now, I do so much more parenting than I had to do in the beginning, because some parents aren't doing it. So it's it's what our job is to parent. I think it's important too that we don't have a lot of focus. You got to consider where your focus is too. On you know, do our concerns for our child's faith match up with what we focus on? We put a lot of focus on. I mean, we do as parents a lot of focus on our kids' grades, sports, friends. Is that really where the focus needs to be? You've know, you got to ask yourself that as a parent. Ask yourself, too, whose job is it to get the child ready for school? Ready in quote marks as in not just getting them dressed in the morning, first day of kindergarten, but whose job is it to get them ready as they walk in the door? I think all of you would probably agree that it's not the school's job to take care of everything for you. There's a lot of prep work that goes into those first five years before your child enters kindergarten or first four years before they enter preschool. So it's something you've got to always keep in the back of your mind. Um, I'd also like you to answer these questions out loud with me. Um, think about what our cultural map looks like. How would your child do with their biblical worldview? And I want you just to answer these as like yes or no questions. A- answer them correctly for me. 
Do absolute moral truths exist? Yes. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Yes. Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Yes. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Yes. Is Satan real? Yes. Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Yes. Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? How many of you would be confident that your kids would answer all of those the same way that you did? And on top of that, how many of you, if you asked your kids those questions or if you, if you had kids that were not your own, I think the first one that was there is really one that you would maybe have a lot of kids in public school not really give you a definitive answer on. Do moral truths exist? That's one that we'll talk about a little bit later too. Moral truths to you and I are very different than moral truths to people who are not Bible believers. Um, and so, that, you know, we look at this list and it's very simple as Christians to answer those questions, but if you even asked your own children some of those questions, would they, would they give you the same answer that you gave? It's something that going into public school, you've got to prepare them even for stuff like that, that there are yes and no answers to questions. Not everything is, well, maybe in this situation or maybe not in that situation. So it's something else to consider. So let's move on to understanding the winds. Uh, the origin of the winds, basically. Uh, think about roughly 85% of American children attend public schools for 35 hours a week. That's about 1,400 hours per school year. Some are a little more, some are a little less. Where did the idea of public schools even come from? Basically, founding Puritan Christians believed that everyone should know how to read so they could evaluate whether or not the government was passing laws in accordance with Scripture. That is where public schooling began. Um, it, was to, it was to see if the government was doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they wanted people to notice you know, what kind of things are being written so everybody should learn how to read. They basically used the Bible as their primary source, too. And the little ABC pattern there, it goes on through all the letters, but that's an example of how they taught some of the kids to learn the alphabet. Like A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Or B, heaven defined the Bible mind. Christ crucified for sinners died. Um, in Psalm 119, 160, it says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Up on the next slide, you'll see a comparison of a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. Um, the biblical worldview believes it, it's theistic. One God is revealed in three persons as the Trinity. Um, there's a spiritual realm as well that's unseen in addition to the seen universe that we live in. God is a creator of everything, and there's an absolute moral truth. Versus what a lot of your kids will see in public schools, a secular worldview. And this really kind of gained momentum in the middle of the 20th century, and it's basically now the default system. Um, you know, prior to that, you could say, well, most people believe that top view, the biblical worldview. In the last century, century and a half, there has really been a lot of momentum gained on the bottom part there. We now are living with a mostly atheistic religion, a naturalist and no spiritual realm. Um, life arose randomly through Darwinian evolution. That's kind of the school mind. And moral relativism. Moral relativism being the opposite of absolute truth, absolute moral truth. That in some situations something's okay, in other situations it's not okay. That's kind of now the default that, we, that our kids are facing. And so if our students go to school not knowing having a biblical worldview, they could start to take on the secular worldview because they're going to hear it directly or indirectly all day long. So, you know, I know with Max, again, a, few, a couple of years when he started, he just kind of was shocked one day he came home and he goes, do you know that a lot of people don't believe in God? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> because all he knew his whole life is Sunday school, VBS, family, friends, and Jesus was who he said he is, and that's just the truth. And then he goes to school and he goes, there's people who don't believe. You know, it's just shocking to them. So how do you know where to point your sail? Um, you know, how do you protect your child from a secular worldview that's pretty prevalent? 
First of all, you've got to become educated about current trends and rights in the public realm. First of all, prayer is obviously the, the key component, but some of the things you do are to become educated about current trends and rights in the public arena. We'll talk a little bit about what some of your rights are as a parent in, in a public school. Um, volunteer in your kid's classroom. That's not a new idea. Hopefully that's something. If you have public school kids, I encourage you to, like my wife has done for years now, get involved in the classroom and find out what's going on in there on a daily basis. Um, skim the textbooks and materials that come home. It's extra work. It's something extra you got to do on top of what your kids are already doing, but just having an idea of what kind of material is coming into your house and what kind of material your kids are discussing. You know, if your kids are like mine, you got to pull it out of them to even find out what's going on in a seven-hour day. So you may have to get in their book bag and pull their bags, you know, books out and find out a little bit about what's, what's going on in their classes. Go ahead. Me too. Um, we just had a little experience probably was in the spring with our 17-year-old and the information these kids are being taught at school, because we don't always know. And a lot of kids don't come home and tell us everything, like you said. And our Danielle, those of you that know Danielle, is very blunt and bold, comes home and tells us sometimes too much. And so um, the one day she came home and she said, Mom, they're making us read this book that is very disturbing. It really bothers me. I said, well, what is this? And she said it's their English class, and they have to read this story. It was a true story about an African-American girl that was repeatedly raped as eight years old by her stepfather. And I brought it to Marty's attention because he's on the school board now for four years, and that's another thing, of getting involved and mm -hmm. finding out what's going on. And thankfully, he was able to go to the superintendent immediately and say, why are we reading this kind of stuff when there's so many other books that these kids could be reading? He said this would be considered pornography if they watched it. You know, and uh, thankfully, our area is still pretty conservative, but he mm -hmm. did go to the English instructors and say, you know, no, we're not continuing on with this book. So we were really thankful. And I, I asked Alyssa, well, did you read this book too? She goes, yeah. I said, well, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> She's like, well, I don't know. We just had to read it, you know. So we all needed Danielle in our home. But, um, <laughs> so we're really thankful for that. But that is one of the things that we don't always know what they really are being taught. And that was an eye-opener. And I was very thankful that she came home and brought that to our attention and that Marty is actually really involved now, which has been great. 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Let's move on to finding the anchor. In Hebrews 6.19, it says, which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Uh, there's also a great book that was quoted, um, a book called Sticky Faith by Powell and Clark, and I, and I saw this quote and it really kind of grabbed me. How you express and live out your faith may have a greater influence on your son or daughter than anything else. You're an ongoing companion, guide, and fellow journeyer. You know, it's so critical that our kids see that we are living out the faith that we are telling them to live out in a public school. We send them into a place that is full of sin, and we expect a certain behavior out of them. We expect them to stand up for themselves in situations like Joanne was talking about with the book. We expect them to take action. But if they don't see us taking action, they don't see us getting involved, they're not going to be as likely to do it. So it's, it's important that you're an ongoing companion and you're a fellow journeyer with them in that, in that journey of public school. Um, and also, I, I think it's critical that our personal journey, it should involve others. You should involve yourselves in some small groups, their friends, watch who their friends are, you know, you, the youth groups, the kids that they hang out with, those are important to get involved with as well, because those kids, if you put them in the right environments with other positive kids, uh, I know for myself, when I was in, in the school that I went to, uh, there were a lot of us that were from church together in that school, and I realize now, years later, how beneficial that was, how spoiled I was, basically, um, because... We gravitated towards each other. We had each other's backs. We knew, we knew where we were, and we could basically stand up for ourselves a little bit better. But a lot of kids don't have that unless you, you know, live in an area that you're close to a whole bunch of other people. 
um, from church or you know the people that you know that you your kids can gravitate towards each other. So you want to encourage them to make sure that they're making the right friends along the way too. I was just going to say, coming uh, from immigrant parents, my mother always thought that education was so amazing because she used to have to farm with her family. So then when she could go to school, it was like a treat. She ran to school. So for us, we were going to go to, go to school. We would get a degree and all of this. But as, as strongly she felt about education, anything that was the most important in our life, what we did uh, every other day of the week and after church on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, it was, it was always church. We're going to church. You're going to, I'm going to go to choir. You're going to play with the kids. We're going to Thursday church. You're going to, put your, you're going to go out after. It's Friday. It's youth group. You're going with your, fa- your friends. Anyone who wanted to come to our house, we could have hundreds of people over. As long as they were from church, come on over, right? Nothing was too much for church. And now we thought growing up, that's who our friends were because our parents made it a priority. And we were surrounded with Christians. So school was just what we did. It was our job. Our life was church. So anyone else have any other story to add to you? Here's another great quote from the Christian Research Institute. They say, parents must embrace the fact that the home is where actual learning occurs and that their faith is essential for a successful handoff. Children don't just want to hear what mom and dad think about Christianity. They want to see that these beliefs make a difference in daily living within the context of a heart-level relationship. When a parent's faith is not lived out at all times, it's perceived as merely a hobby unrelated to reality. This inconsistency causes kids to compartmentalize their spiritual lives and eventually outgrow beliefs that they've never seen modeled. Kind of goes along with what that last slide was talking about, too. So how can you be sure that the anchor as God is secure for you? Spend time in the Word, with and without your children. That's critical. Pray for your child's teacher, school, principal, etc. Um, at the beginning of school years, you know, Jen has made it a habit for us as a family to pray for upcoming teachers that we know our kids have specifically. Pray for the principal, you know, by name, with our kids so they can hear it. So our kids know that, listen, we're praying for you guys along the way. We're praying for the, the teachers that are dealing with you, the principal that's you know, heading up a school. Pray specifically for those people that you know are in your schools, by name, with your children. Um, have open discussions about what takes place during the school day. Our kids, uh, for a while, dreaded coming home, I think, because Jen would say, tell me three things about your day. <laughs> and and you got to, I mean, for a little while, you got to pull it out of them. Eventually, they, they got into the habit of when they came home, they, they knew they were going to have to do it, so they're thinking ahead of time. And it can be something as simple as what you had for lunch or what you do out at recess, but it's important that you place some value in what your kids spent the last seven, eight hours of their day doing. If they just come home and their switch is turned off and they don't want to talk about school and, you know, you realize they're burned out, give them a little time maybe, but then eventually have the conversation about what happened today. You might be surprised just in asking them that what they will tell you. Yeah. Is there a balance of kind of, you know, I mean, when, when, when we were younger, right, my, I know my parents, traditionally European, they didn't know anything about school. So, you know, it, school is school. You learn, go. Uh, and I think now, I think as, as I think the evil seems to be more and more prevalent, a lot of parents seem to be very, want to be more and more engaged, right? But the same thing with, like, parenting. I mean, what they call helicopter parents where, you know, you don't even let the kid do anything because the parent's doing it themselves because they don't want the kid to do it the wrong way. But then on that part, they don't learn anything at all other than, you know, hey, my parent's around and they're, you know, I'm, I'm entitled and um, for everything. Give me everything, give me everything because I don't have to earn anything or do anything or learn anything. So, I mean, is there a balance that we kind of need to kind of grasp? Because, um, if, for example, even as parents, you know, our, our kids, you know, my, my, my parent, my, my youngest, um, one of my kid, sons is like, what's that commercial where it says that, you know, the drink that makes boys, you know, 
touch, keep touching girls, right? Like, whoa, my goodness, what did we watch? You know, what, you know, and, and, you know, we're thinking right away, I'm giving this whole speech about, you know, you have to respect each other. And it ended up being just a Sunny Delight commercial with the son in the backseat just kind of annoying the sister. So I know as parents, we could go way overboard. And the question is sometimes, are we way overboard? And it's how a, do we have that balance? It's a good question. And I, Gary Tomek and I, when he came in, I was actually talking about this. And I have this conversation with probably more with teachers than I do with parents. It's a lot harder to have that conversation with parents because you don't want to offend them and get them upset. But my feeling has always been if you decide to public school your kids, let the public school do their job, get involved, find out what's going on, and step in when you see something not, not going the way that it should be going according to God's word and according to your own beliefs. If there's something that you see as a violation of those, step in. In the same breath, though, do not step in every time that you feel like your kid was wrong, your, your kid didn't, you got the short end of the stick. Ultimately, you decided to public school your kid. There's professional teachers there that are doing their job, that, that should be doing their job. Um, trust that they're going to do it. I mean, there, I have some parents that are very supportive along the way, and then you, every year, you could probably agree, you get one or two that are just down your throat about everything. And you kind of feel like, as a teacher, you feel like, if you're getting this involved, why don't you just homeschool? Like, like I... You're public schooling your kid, and you made the choice to do it, so let the school do their job. So there is a balance, Paul. I think you want to stay involved. You want to make sure you're volunteering. You want to make sure you're seeing what's going on, but you also kind of want to let your kids, you know, establish their role as well. And especially as they get older, too, you want your kids to be the, the ones that are advocating for asking the teacher about something. You know, last year we ran into this quite a bit with our son, questions about something in class, and at his age as a seventh grader, go ask the teacher. You know, like, you need to get involved. I'm not going to email them every time you have a question or something, something you can do as a kid, you know, and those are some things that you got to slowly build up to so that by the time they're in a middle school or high school setting, it's not turned to mom and dad to, to, you know, to put out the fire that they saw, you know, that they started. So it, it is a balance. It's tough to find sometimes. Marty. As a parent, don't escalate things with administration. And if it's happening in a classroom, direct it toward the teacher. Start at that level. And usually you can resolve it if there's some misunderstanding or some concern. But don't call the principal's office first thing or call the superintendent. Do not start at the top. Yeah. Work from the bottom up. And, you know, do it in a Christian way. Don't be adversarial. Don't be, you know, have an ax to grind or assume that they're guilty or everything's wrong. Because like in this, this situation with our daughter, Danielle, there was a book that, you know, the people at the top aren't even really familiar with what was in the book. And we found out that this book wasn't even approved. The, the way it's supposed to work, the English teacher selects the textbook, it's submitted, it's approved by the administration, they can use it in the classroom. This book has been used for the past five years, but no one can find that it was approved by anyone. So, And the teacher who started using the book is no longer there. So the new teachers come into the classroom, they just assumed that this was an okay text, they were using it, and we found all this out as you start digging. But, you know, start from the bottom up and do it in a, like I said, you know, treat somebody like you don't want to be treated. Yeah, that's a great point. That's actually something I get to later. So you, you, you're echoing my thoughts on that exactly. Um, obviously, ask your children when, yes, yes, oh, I'm sorry. I, I did have one, uh, just a quick comment about a balance. Um, I grew up in a very conservative small town, and there was a heavy influence in the school board from the ACCA and ACCN churches, which I think was, was great. But that led to um, 
the, the teachers were instructed throughout the district to not teach evolution um, at all. So we got to that chapter, it was completely skipped. So many of it, and it had, you know, I initially thought that was really a great idea. Um, and that was against the state's um, uh, direction that they did that. But then I saw, as I grew older, there was some unintended consequences. A lot of my friends went to college having never confronted that issue with their parents beside them. They confronted it at college in, in isolation. And it, so there, there, there was, yeah, there's some unintended consequences. There, there needs to be some ex exposure. There needs to be a balance. It was That's a great, a great uh, It was, I think, a good example of some extreme helicopter parenting. That's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so joining the fleet, let's move on. Joining the fleet. Uh, imagine our U.S. Navy with one ship. Uh, how effective would they be? <laughs> Very effective. <laughs> it was gigantic, right? If it was one gigantic ship. Um, but, the, you know, but a fleet means you've got a whole bunch of people. You've got a whole bunch of boats that are, that are together in something. So join the fleet. In Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I should have Erwin read that. It's like one of his most quotable verses. <laughs> Uh, Ecclesiastes 12.6, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So how do you join the fleet? Here are some ways. Plug into your church's groups, or start some new ones if needs be. You've got a, group of, a large group of people in your church that are public schooling, and they're all going to the same school or the same district, and they're facing some of the same issues. Get together with them and talk about it. Um, get plugged into your, some of your school groups that promote Christian friendships and principles. Like our kids were involved in what's called a Good News Club. Um, it's nationwide. It's in a lot of different schools. It's like an after-school program where kids get together and they sing songs and they read, talk about Bible stories and a lot of fun games. Um, as they get older, American Heritage Girls was something our girls did at a high school level, like a Crusaders for Christ or like a breakfast club that's usually run by a Christian teacher in the building. Um, get to know what those groups are doing. Get, get to know what they're, you know, what they're all about. Attend it. My father was a, a speaker at one of my son's uh, breakfast club meetings, and he went and talked about his accident and um, how the Lord helped him through that. So there's opportunities even in those social groups to get involved. Um, just and if you're Canadian, you need to start all these on your own because <laughs> none will be established for yeah, you. Yeah, revert back to but, start some new yeah, ones. Yeah, and as someone who has a high immigrant population in our city, there are, there are uh, prayer rooms when it's Ramadan. There's things. So every, you need to look into it because a Christian has just as many rights as a Muslim does. So, you know, you, will, you can start things just like other kids can. You just have to know about that as a parent and look into what's available. But good news clubs won't be in Canada. You have to start that yourself. Do any of you have those clubs like in, in your schools or districts, those, those kind of cl after school clubs, those Christian clubs? That's good. Not a lot of hands, so there's maybe some work to be done to get some of those started. But that will be your job. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing is some of these organizations like Good News Club, they've been around for a long time, and they're well-established. I know that even in the Lexington district, we are a very rural school and Clear Fork. So they do have these things, but even there, they are not allowed to announce them on the <coughs> announcements, and they're not allowed to have send home the flyers, but they do make them available. So I just want to tell you parents Call your school and ask them. And sometimes that secretary might not know, but she can revert to someone who does. Because as long as they're not promoting them, that you are allowed to have that if it's not during school hours, before if it's or after. Right? If, if a student starts anything or their parent, depending on what it is, you might have to have the permission of the principal. But there may be things that you guys don't know about because the children aren't allowed to bring them home. Good News Club, you cannot bring it home. You cannot advertise. So at this younger age, right, they're not going into very deep biblical concepts. However, 
as parents too, it's you still need to engage with them because this is a perfect opportunity at a young age to start teaching discernment. Right? Discernment isn't necessarily just what's right and what's wrong. It's what's right and what appears to be right but is wrong. Right. And so, you know, that's still staying engaged um, because we, you know, we, we also had opportunities where, you know, our kids say, okay, well, my friend's a Christian too, but they do this and that, and we don't do that. And that gives you the opportunity to, again, show discernment of why we as a family don't do that. And they're going to, and that, that at the small scale, smaller scale helps them as they grow older to address, you know, engaging with other Christians from other denominations or non-denominational community churches and still understand, you know, how to um, discern. And I think that's one thing that's important. I think we need to help our ch- children learn more is how to discern and not just necessarily teach them what's right and wrong. I mean, we, we, we do need to teach that what's right and wrong, but that discernment part is, is, is maybe not as emphasized. Thank you. Let's move on to avoiding the separation of church versus state shipwreck. Um, we, we have lost some ground in the areas of freedom and religion in the last 50 years. I think everybody would agree with that. Uh, but we've got more rights to live out our faith in public schools than probably we think. The question is, do you want to? You have some of those rights. The question is, do you want to embrace them? Or is it easier to just kind of let the next one be taken away? Think about that. Um, you know, the amendments to our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, they, they were critical in order for the document to even be ratified to begin with. And the very first one, the first, the first amendment, talks about Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which is referred to as the Establishment Clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which is the free exercise clause. That amendment was so important, it was number one. And the founding fathers knew that that document, in order to be ratified, in order to become something that was going to be a living document for our, for our country, was going to have to have some things like that in there. And that was obviously the most critical one. So consider that. How did we get where we are? So where did separation of church versus state even come from? I didn't know that before reading this book. I've heard that term thrown around so many times. And, and the author says the same thing. He says a lot of people use it. And they use it as a reason that they use it as a reason to not get church involved in their school at all. Um, but where did that term even come from? It basically came from an obscure letter. Thomas Jefferson was writing to some Danbury Baptists, and the Baptists they were concerned that they were going to be persecuted for their faith after the government uh, by the government. And in, in response, Jefferson wrote to them and said, "I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion." or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Basically, he was saying, I understand where you're coming from, I understand your concerns, and if something like that were to happen, we wouldn't have that free exercise part of the clause. And that would basically build a wall between church and state. He was acknowledging what their fear was, and people have taken separation of church and state and basically said, we've got to keep church and state separate. We can't have anything to do with church inside of, our, you know, inside of anything state-run like a school. So it's kind of interesting where that, even, where that even came from. Take a look at this list. I, I know it's small, so you, I, but I wanted to try to get them all on there, and I'm not going to go through all of them. But basically, in the last 60-plus years, 70 years of, of history on there, or 60 years on there, that is kind of how we have gotten where we are. Back as far back as 1947, when the First Amendment um, basically erected a wall between church and state. And that wall must be kept high and impregnable. That was a, that was a comment made by a Supreme Court justice. That kind of led to... Some more things going down. I'll just maybe talk about a couple of them. In 1962, they said no more prayers to start the day. Uh, 1980, the Ten Commandments couldn't be displayed in school standing by themselves. Um, you know, that led, ended up leading to courthouses too. But um, 1985, a moment of silence for prayer was banned. Uh, 1989, it was unconstitutional to display a nativity scene on, a, on public land. 
1993 religious artwork by, by itself may not be displayed at school. What's interesting about that one is the school that I teach in is, like I said, it's a rural school district. It's not a Christian school. Uh, but we have oil paintings in our, in our building of pictures from the Bible. Like there's an oil painting in one hallway of Jesus with the young ruler. Um, there was another one in our elementary school library of Jesus standing over the shoulders of somebody guiding a boat. And so it's like even that one, there, you still see evidence of those things. Just because it's declared that, it's, that it can't happen, some schools allow it to happen because it's happened and nobody in the school puts up a big fuss about it. It continues to go on. Others, you know, some of you in here work in district or live in a district where immediately when they find out that that's declared unconstitutional, they rip it out of the school right away. So it kind of depends on where you're at too, but in a district like where I work at, according to that law, it's been banned for 20 years. It's still hanging in my building. So it's not everywhere that you see it just because it's become a law. Um, and then in 2000, no more school-endorsed student-led prayers at school during sporting events. Um, keep in mind that note at the bottom, amendments to the Constitution can be made if we the people decide to do so by a majority vote, not through judiciary powers. And yet, that's exactly what's happened for the last 70 years. Amendments to the Constitution are supposed to be made by we the people. We have allowed Supreme Courts to step in and make these critical cases for the last 70 years and decide it on a panel of nine men. And that is how a lot of these things have come about. Um, some, of the, some of the rights that we have as Americans have basically been taken away and given to nine people to decide. So it's something that we've got we to pay attention to and hang on to some of the things that we still have rights to while we can. So taking the wheel of rights, uh, there's three kind of uh, three things I want to talk about here. With, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. This goes back to what Marty talked about. You know, if, if, if it's something that you are going to approach a school district about, do it in love. Do it with charity. Otherwise, you're tinkling cymbal. Uh, the Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain in unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, from the Federal Department of Education's guidelines on religious expression in public schools, it says students may express their beliefs about religion in the form of homework, artwork, and other written and oral assignments free of discrimination based on the religious content of their submissions. It's a right that we have. It's something your kids are allowed to do. Here's some examples of how some of those student rights could be played out in a public school. In an elementary school, bringing a Bible for show and tell, sharing details about the Christian faith and why it's important. Your kids are legally allowed to do that. It's not something that they're not allowed to do. Um, in a middle school setting, which is where I work now, um, if you were assigning something about a historical figure, paper, they can write about the Apostle Paul, use the Bible as a primary source, it's something they have, they have a right to do. In a high school speech and debate class, they could discuss the topic of abortion from a religious, moral point of view, and even encourage others to share that view. Um, and, and I've seen the last one multiple times, kids bringing a Bible to read during free time. It's not something as a teacher, even if I wasn't a Christian, that I could tell that kid to get that Bible out of my classroom. They're legally allowed to do it. It's a right that they have. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I do know that um, because I teach elementary school, so I don't know about this middle school or about the high school speech, I do know that with anything we do in Canada, it has to be that we are respecting the human rights of everybody else. So, but that's when you would ask the question, you know, my child would like to um, write a speech on this topic. Is there any reason why they can't? Because if you're talking to your teachers, if, you're, if you know what your school, because in, in Ontario, every curriculum expectation is available to you. 
So anything that you're worried that your child is going to learn about that doesn't align with your Christian beliefs, you should be able to see that. And so if you question something about whether or not you may or may not write about something, you can always go back to the curriculum documents and state, well, they may choose a topic and express their opinion, and you have that all available to you. So that's a good question for you to ask your teacher. <laughs> Somebody over there? Like, we don't have kids oh. yet, but my nieces and nephews are there. You just type on Ontario Curriculum Documents, and then you can just, uh, the website comes up, and you just choose your grade, you choose your subject, and it lists everything that will be taught Perfect. for expectation. Anyone else? Right over here. Oh, there. Which is good. It steps into there. <laughs> so maybe... Um, I know one of our sons just did a, like an English paper on the story of Noah. It wasn't an issue. Here we go. They had to do some kind of literature. I don't even know the outline of what, but he chose to do Noah, and it was not a problem. And he brings his Bible and reads it on free time, and it's never been issues. The teacher has never called him out on it, you know, or he's done some writing with it. So That's something that's mentioned a lot in this book, and I know it's an American author, but... Uh, the the student has a lot more rights than we think they do because they're the student. So if they choose that source to read or to cite in a in their written work, they may do that. They're learning. It's their interest. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they had to do some kind of shield, family shield. They were studying medieval kind of ideas. And so Noah brought his home, and he said, I need to finish it. I have to color it, you know. And he had a shield, he had Jesus on the cross in the middle, he had a, our family reading the Bible, and I was actually, if I can say proud of it, I thought, wow, that's bold. I don't think as a kid I would have <laughs> done that. So, um, And the teacher, a couple weeks later, I was volunteering at school, and she pulled me aside, and she said, I was so excited to see Noah's shield. She said, I'm a Christian, and I can't use suggestions, or I can't suggest that they do those kind of things like you can use Christ or whatever. She says, I can't suggest that, but I told him privately after, you know, I really loved his shield. <laughs> so there's opportunities. Jen has actually walked into our, uh, we had the same kindergarten teacher for all five of our kids. We were blessed enough that working in that district, I could request this teacher who's a Christian. She happened to walk in the day that, uh, that the teacher was talking about what the candy cane was and the colors of the candy cane and the J for Jesus and you know, she kind of looked over at Jen as she walked in and, you know, kind of smiled. But teachers know that if it's initiated by students, they've got the right to talk about it. Yeah. She also said just to me, and if Miss Leedy gets fired today, Mrs. Lamp will know why. Even though the kids had no idea what yeah. that meant. But then she looked yeah. at me and said, it would be worth it. <laughs> Speaking of teacher rights, let's move on to that. So teachers also have rights. Um, teaching about Christianity and using the Bible as a central piece in a literature assignment. Uh, teaching that Easter is a holiday celebrated by Christians that believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Um, discussing Christianity anytime that it comes up naturally in content standards and living out their faith in a public school setting. This was my first year in middle school, and I had this idea that I wanted to do this year, and I, and I implemented it. And I kind of I, I almost forced that third one, and there was, no, there was no backlash about it at all. I introduced this idea called Lyric Friday. So every Friday I would have a, a student choose a song. Um, I would play it for the class. And then the person who chose it would talk about what the song meant to them, their favorite line from the song, all, the, all this sort of stuff. I started the year off with a Christian song, talked about Maddox's accident six years ago, talked about my faith in Jesus. It was a natural way for me to bring up that topic by introducing something that was going to be in my curriculum for the, for the year anyway. 
Um, and you would be shocked at how many kids chose Christian songs as the year went on. It was amazing. I often think if I would have chose a secular song, would they have all thought we have to pick something that's not church-related? I would have had a couple probably pick it, but I think setting the tone at the beginning, knowing that that was my right to do, setting the tone at the beginning, the rest of the year it was amazing. I probably had a, a third to a half of all the songs from all six of my classes were Christian songs, and kids just kind of knew that from the bat right, right off the get-go from me. So it's just another way to think about that. Um, some ways to prepare uh, for title changes. Teaching your children to exercise their biblical worldview muscles. Um, this was already mentioned a little bit, keeping lines of communication open. Who between parent and, te- and parent and student, obviously we talked about talking with your kids when they come home. Parent and teacher is really critical. Um, but I think the last one is, as they get older, is increasingly critical, a student and a teacher. Um, we've heard some examples in here of some kids, you know, that maybe have stood up to what's going on in their classroom or, or bringing something into their classroom that they know they're allowed to do. Those opportunities, student-teacher relationships are critical to, to make sure that you do. Um, spending time learning, as we talk about, along with your children, which topics will have the most anti-Christian agendas. We'll talk a little bit about that next, too. Um, so some of the tides, where are the tides the strongest? Where are some of the things that, you know, you maybe need to be prepared to, to have conversations about? In history and social studies, there's a lot of biased presentations of Christianity. Um, there's omissions of godly references in texts, uh, lack of primary source references. And some of these are the ones that he mentioned as he was uh, teaching his class, you know, some of the things that he noticed was missing. Um, science areas, obviously, is the one that kind of grabs people's attention the most, but a lot of people think Christianity and science can't coexist. However, Galileo, Copernicus, Descartes, Newton, Mendel, Calvin, they were all Christians. They all believed in the coexistence of Christianity and science. It, it wasn't as Darwin black and white as everybody think it, 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 it's always been. Um, a big distinction between microevolution, which is testable, and something called macroevolution, which is basically what Darwin promoted. Um, how life began, so the origin of life, transitional species, those are all things that in science you're, you know, are some of the tides that, that you may see challenged. Um, in literature, omissions obviously from certain books of school libraries if they mention things that are questionable. On uh, the sex ed curriculum, we could, go, we could have a forum just on that one in here, I'm sure, if I asked, hey, what are you seeing in your sex ed curriculum in the district that you work in? Well, we're mine, again, mine again is back, I mean, ours is pretty tame, I think, compared to what some of the other ones in here are. Um, but that's obviously going to be a big one as they get older. Um, and then like something like Common Core, keep in mind that something like Common Core, the threads, the philosophical threads in that are statism, moral relativism, and progressivism. So some of the main threads that you see throughout those, that curriculum are, are statism, basically state government, state-controlled ideas, moral relativism, which is yes sometimes, no other times, and progressivism, always in the, always in the direction of moving forward. So those are some threads that are there. Anybody know who that guy is? <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> um, in pulling up a picture of him, coincidentally, that quote I didn't really realize is pretty fitting for right there. I, wasn't, I was just looking for a good quote from him that was appropriate. And uh, <laughs> take what you can, give nothing back. That's what pirates are going to do. They're going to take everything. If you don't stand up for it, nothing's going to be given back. So let's look at a little bit of uh, a few pirates to watch out for in schools. Uh, in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So some of today's public school pirates, we've talked about moral relativism a little bit. Truth is always changing depending on the circumstances. Uh, teachers with an agenda. Again, if, we asked some of the, if I could ask some of you, if you had, I think yesterday we heard um, somebody had asked a question about positive influences and negative influences in the class that we were in. A lot of people were talking about teachers, good and bad. There are teachers that have an agenda that are negative. So that's a, a pirate to watch out for. There's not a lot of them. I, I'd like to believe there's more of them like me that 
would rather promote their Christianity than, uh, than try to squash it in children, but there are some out there, and you hear about them in the news. Coaches, if your kids are involved in sports, find out who your coach is. Find out what they believe, uh, because they've got a lot of influence on your kids if your kids are spending time in sports after school, too. Um, obviously, their friends and peer pressure is a huge, huge component of that. We've talked a little bit about pay attention to who your kids are friends with and who they're hanging out with. The media and the Internet, also huge. Signaling for help, if necessary. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Um, some of the ways that you can successfully resolve conflict, and Marty talked a little bit about these already. I was saying he was basically echoing what my slide said. First of all, remember to speak the truth in love, remembering that we are ambassadors of Christ. When you go to your child's teacher, you go to your child's school board or principal, remember that you're an ambassador for Christ. You've got to keep that in mind, as upset as you may be. Um, Go through the appropriate channels of hierarchy and authority. Go to the teacher, then go to the principal, then the superintendent, then the school board. Kind of sounds like uh, what we talk about on testimony night. Uh, make sure you're going through the appropriate steps in, in what you're doing. If you jump right to that superintendent or right to that school board, likely you will get squashed. Um, but if you go the right route and you say, I talk to the child, my child's teacher and then I talk to their principal, you're going to get an ear from them. They, they will listen to you. Um, there's also free Christian legal help if necessary. He mentions a couple... Uh, places, Alliance Defending Freedom or Liberty Council, they, they work solely free uh, for the benefit of Christian rights. And so if it gets that far, there are organizations out there that fight for those rights. And then working with other Christians in a spirit of unity, um, fighting for freedoms of future generations. Keep in mind that the freedoms that you're fighting for to keep for your children are for future generations. It's not just for your kids going through school now. It might be for your grandkids along the way, or it might be for your neighbor's kids. Uh, Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Great quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, raising the flag for Christ. Christians are to remain in the world in order to engage the world in a frontal assault. Let them live out their vocation in this world in order that their unworldliness might become fully visible. Silence equals consent. If you're sending your Christian kids to a public school, don't teach them to just avoid every type of conflict that's along the way. Because like Paul had said, Eventually, they're going to run into a spot, uh, Jake had said, eventually, they're going to run into a spot where if they ignored it all along the way and they just kind of skated through school, they're going to hit it at some point. Encourage those opportunities for your kids to get involved in. Um, my last slide here is just some thoughts for you. If anybody else would like to share anything that, how has Christ used any of you in the public school setting so far? Um, where have you actually seen any success or failure in dealing with your child's education? Uh, what questions or challenges do you have for others here that, it could maybe help. Anybody have any other final comments? I want Martha to share what she had uh, shared with me yesterday real briefly. So um, obviously we're part of the Ontario sex ed curriculum that hopefully will not continue. We'll see what happens. But okay, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> but um, I also work in our middle school now, so I'm there on a daily basis. And because I have sons, they don't talk to me. They don't always tell me what's going on. But I found out through some of the other staff members that there was a paper um, presented to the kids called the Genderbread Theory. And it was just to talk about how to navigate your way through transgenderism, find out where you fit on the scale. And it's not part of the curriculum, but it's out there. And I was shocked. So I came home and asked my son, does Mrs. Kurt teach this? Do you know about this? It's in her classroom. Did you, did you guys talk about this? And he said, well, why would she? She's my science and math teacher. And I thought, oh, good, he's safe. And he said, but Madame Tritech did in health. And I went, what? 
what did you guys do? And he said, I don't know. It was a paper. that sh There were a whole bunch of questions. So I guess you're supposed to talk about how um, our physical body is used to tell us how to determine gender, but now it's your heart and your brain. And he said, it was so dumb. I walked up to her and handed the paper. Sorry, I'm going to cry on this one. So like Steph, I was... I was very proud of what he had done and so humbled. He said it was awful, so he took it up to the teacher and handed it to her and said, I'm not comfortable with this and I'm not participating. And he sat down. And immediately she stopped the lesson and put everything away. And I told him that he saved probably 100 kids that day from hearing garbage that is not true. And I, I was so thankful that even though we were not there and we were not the helicopter parent that I would have liked to have been, he realized on his own that this was not something that he was supposed to be participating in and he refused to do it and so the lesson stopped. And so I just do want to encourage all of you to continue to teach your children that it is okay to stand up because in the end, Christ wins. He wins and we don't have to fear it. Do we have time? Yeah, go for it. So we had a free concert at school. It was the aunt of some student that was there. Um, she was an Irish folk singer. So I, I found out the name of the singer. We looked her up online and were shocked at what she was presenting. She was a lesbian who sang about lesbian issues. And... Um, so she was coming in, and one of the other staff members said, Martha, you've got to pull your kids. Don't let them go to that. Don't let them go to that assembly. And I said, but I can't not do that because I, what's my reason to pull them out? I felt like we needed to send them so that we knew what she was going to say and we would be able to respond appropriately. I happened to be at school that day, conveniently, at that time, and the principal invited me in to listen to the concert. So I did. And this woman was, first of all, she was speaking with an Irish accent, and she didn't want a microphone. So the kids couldn't really understand her or hear her. But it was full on, we're so thankful that we're in Canada because we can live the way we're supposed to live here. And it was gut-wrenching listening to her. But she would ask questions <laughs> every once in a while. One of them, after she sang one of her songs... Um, that was clearly pro-gay, she was asking questions like, what did you think about that? And they're asking questions. Where did you get your guitar? Where did you find your boots? They're so cute. you know. And so these are seventh and eighth graders. They're not responding to her songs at all. But somebody finally asked, what's your favorite song? And she said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. So she goes up to the middle again, and she starts strumming her guitar, and not saying anything. She's not singing a word. Can I back up? Before this, since we knew this was happening, we prayed as a family that God would intervene somehow and that he, that he, would, be, um, that he would be victorious in this whole thing. So as a family, we prayed before, we prayed during it. I was praying the whole time during the concert. I had eye contact with my son, and every time she would say something weird, we would just both go, you know, pray. So she gets up there. She can't remember the words to the song. 
And she goes over, she starts banging her head on the wall, going, this has never happened. I've sung between tens of thousands of people in front of um, important dignitaries. I've never forgotten the words of the song. And my son's looking at me like, yes, yes. And I'm going, keep praying. So um, she gets all the way done with the song, and it was she did eventually remember the words, unfortunately. She gets all the way done with the song, and she's just beaming with pride that she finally got through this. And are there any questions? And some goofy eighth grade boy said, do you play Pokemon Go? And it lost the entire school. Everybody was disruptive. They couldn't gain control. And by then, the buses were there. It was time to go. End of concert. But the point was we were able to work with the kids beforehand and say, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to hear things that we don't believe in and things that go against God's word it's going to happen. We need to respond by praying. I wish we would have prayed for her soul. That's one thing I regret that we did not do. But we did pray that God would be evident, and he was very clearly. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to see that Eddie left because I was going to say in closing, equip your kids for school. Equip them for public school, and before they go in, they will be fine. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming. <laughs>